This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is June 22nd, 2021. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Yeah, sure, Brian. Uh, my name is Andrew Falzone. I was at WRHU uh, from 2000 to 2005. And uh, did you have any titles or management positions at the station? Uh, yeah, uh, I guess I'll start from the bottom and work my, my way through. Um, I started as assistant news director um, and then uh, promotions director with assistant news director at the same time, I think. Um, then I went on to be the news director. Uh, and then from news director, I uh, spent two years as station manager. Okay. Do you remember uh, the shows that you worked on or hosted? Uh, yeah. So at the very beginning, um, I was really all about news, but we still had to do another show anyway. And so uh, I guess the easiest thing to do was the classics from Hofstra because you'd go into the studio and play two or three pieces that took up the whole time. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, in between songs, you could uh, kind of do other things, whether it was study for a test or, you know, whatever else you, you kind of had to do. Um, but then I was all news all the time when I was at RHU. So uh, I started at Newsline uh, when Newsline, I think, was five minutes. Um, and by the time I graduated, I can't remember if it was 20 or 30, but um, we, uh, we put a lot of energy into that show. Did you do any other music shows or any community programs? Did you do any producing? Yeah, um, I also did Hofstra's morning wake up call mostly over the summers. Um, I was part of the summer crew for uh, the morning show. And, you know, that also kind of had its own hierarchy where, you know, as like an underclassman, I started doing news uh, on the show and, of course, participating in the panel. And then uh, from there, I think I co-hosted and then eventually I hosted. Um, and then uh, towards the end of my time at RHU, uh, since I was spending so much time there as station manager, uh, I found time for a rock and roll oasis shift. And I, I really had a lot of fun with that. Hmm. Uh, when you were on air, did you use your own name? Did you have any on-air names or nicknames? Yeah, no, I was I was always Andrew Falzone. Uh, nothing, uh, nothing fun or fancy. Okay, uh, so two part question. Answer it whatever makes sense to you. But I'm always curious what brought people to the radio station to begin with, and then if you could describe for the people who weren't there at the same time, what was the station like? Uh, do you remember the first time or or your early days there? Maybe people that you met as you uh, got to the station. Yeah, sure. And as a, as a matter of fact, I'm probably going to ask you to re-ask me the question when I'm done talking again, because there's just so much amazing stuff to talk about um, in that regard. You know, um, before I can even talk about what brought me to the station, it was actually WRHU that brought me to Hofstra, because I remember when I was making my undergrad decision, um, it was either Fordham University or Hofstra University. Mm -hmm. And of course, Fordham uh, has WFUV, which is an outstanding station, but it is professionally run. It was in 2000, and to my understanding, it still is. And so if you wanted to work at the college radio station at Fordham, you basically had an intern there. And from what I remember, the internships were kind of limited in terms of how long you could be there. 
Whereas at WRHU, it was the exact opposite. It was student run. It was student operated. There was administrative uh, oversight. Bruce Avery was the general manager. When I got there, Joel Meyer was the operations manager and Ed Ingalls was the professional in residence. Uh, and Joe DeRosa was the chief audio engineer. And um, it was, you know, I mean, it, you could you could play, uh, it, you know, it, it was a wonderful opportunity to get real life hands on experience that now I'm sitting here uh, 20 years removed from it. And I look back and I go, oh, my God, we really did that um, in uh, in a number of uh, arenas, whether it was just going on air to do, uh, you know, a, a morning show and discussing whatever the hot topics were of the day or, you know, going out and covering things for the news department, um, which, you know, I mean, back when I was there, there were maybe two people who would go out and do stories. And by the time I left, there were maybe four people who would go out and do stories. Um, and now, from what I understand, it's just part of the routine there where, you know, students who are usually journalism majors go out and, and cover things for uh for Newsline and for other news-related uh, programming, and it's uh, it's phenomenal to see the growth. Um, I was there at a very unique time um, because there were a lot of folks there at the same time who still, uh, you know, A, I still keep in touch with, but B, also, you know, were in broadcasting themselves. Uh, Andy Gladding and I were in the same training class. Mm. Uh, and that was uh, a great experience. Um, and Andy always is and always was a character uh, and a great time. And, um, I, you know, I don't know where he is now. I think he's at Newsmax, but I'm not sure. Uh, he, he's actually working. Side. Sorry to interrupt, but he is actually working with Hofstra Radio. And uh, I talked to him not too long ago. And your your description of him is uh is perfectly apt. He's uh, he's still a character. He's still a really good guy to talk to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the at the end of the day, you can't have a bad time with Andy Gladding. <laughs> um, and then uh, I was also there with um, with Dave Plotkin, who you know is also still a friend to this day. And Dave is uh, the production director over at Ten Ten Wins, and um, you know is just. Uh, really a, a great all-around guy. And the thing that was so amazing about Dave is Dave came into the training class with a body of knowledge, not just about a genre of music or uh, a technical know-how. I mean, he was radio. If radio could walk and talk and breathe, you know, it was Dave Plotkin who had anecdotes about cart machines and general managers at stations and you know i mean story he grew up in california and he had stories about new york radio and he really was like a walking talking encyclopedia and ironically um you know like he would volunteer these stories during the training class and there would kind of be that collective sigh of oh my god is this guy ever going to stop you know <laughs> telling us uh you know about World War Two uh, radio type stuff. And, um, you know, and him and I just became wonderful friends. And he, you know, he really is just a, a, another one who's a, a great, great person. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I really can't think of 
other folks from that training class, but um, it was it was just a great experience. Do you remember going to the station uh, the first time? Did you? Did, I, it sounds like you knew you wanted to get into radio before you got to Hofstra. So, so when's your first time? Let's say walking into the office, and maybe who were some of the people who were there? Some of the people that were already working at the station. Yeah, sure. Well, actually, for me, I actually never wanted to go into radio. I always wanted to go into television. Um, and what I learned very quickly is at the college level, there weren't any significant uh, programs where you could go out and do kind of like television news. Uh, I think there was one at, uh, not CW Post, maybe it was uh, somewhere out in Westbury. Uh, Oh God, I can't, I used to know all this stuff like the back of my hand. Mm. Um, but I don't remember if it was like a graduate program or whatever, but it was, I think it was Long Island News Tonight. And a lot of folks, yeah, that's it. It's Long Island News Tonight. It was the New York Institute of Technology, which I really didn't find out about until after I was at Hofstra. Mm. Um, but even so, it's very, very hard to do good television at the college level because it is so costly and so technically intensive. Whereas even when I was a student at Hofstra, you know, you didn't need a whole lot. You needed a good quality audio recorder, which WRHU had, uh, you know, plenty of, um, and a microphone. And you could go out and talk to whomever, and you didn't have to worry about white balancing and lighting and, you know, all of these technical things that come along with television that make it kind of too hard to do. Um, and so I knew I eventually wanted to cross over into television, but I had kind of come to the realization that radio was the way to go for college. Um, because, you know, everybody would say, oh, well, what do they have up at Syracuse University? What do they have at Emerson in Boston? And the answer was, well, really not much better in terms of TV than, uh, than other universities. Um, you know, it just wasn't worth the, uh, the trip and the expense. And so uh, I ended up uh, at Hofstra really uh, because of radio, but with the desire to go into television. But, you know, in terms of like the very first time I walked into the station, I think it was when I came to tour Hofstra as a senior. Hmm. Um, and I think uh, Emily Tweedy might've been there. And I think Casey was there, um, you know, and I, uh, Emily was the program director when I got into the station. Casey was the program director when I was in the training class. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't really remember the first time at the station or the first time behind the board. But um, what I do remember absolutely crystal clear uh, was when I got called for the training class interview because you had to go through an interview process to get in. And I was so excited about that because, you know, that's why I went to Hofstra. I, I went to Hofstra to get a degree, but I really went to Hofstra to be a part of WRHU. And so that was the first step. And that was great. And, you know, I remember thinking, what am I going to wear? What am I going to do? What am I going to say? What, you know, what are they going to ask? And then, um, you know, the interviews when I was there were usually three people. It was usually an administrator, an executive board member, and an administrative board member. 
Um, and that wasn't the case for whatever reason. My interview was just me and Ed Ingalls one-on-one. And after I found out that Ed Ingalls was the professional in residence there, and I did a little research and, you know, I knew the name, but then after you met the guy, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was just so convinced that I had to be there. And of course there were no foregone conclusions with the interview, but just being in that room with Ed made me want it that much more. And I remember that, you know, he asked me during the interview, well, what are your goals if you get into the radio station? And I said, I'm coming here to do news. I want to be a reporter. I'm doing a broadcast journalism major. Um, And so, you know, a lot of people, when they graduate from college, they have like a sash or some type of whatever that represents the fraternity they were in or a club. And I remember saying to Ed, I don't want any of that. When I graduate from Hofstra, I want to walk up on stage with a collection of press passes around my neck Mm. um, from things that I covered during my time here. And, you know, I mean, if you asked me as a, as a 18 year old kid, best guess, how many do you think you're going to get? I, probably would have said, oh, I'll be happy with 10 or 15. And honestly, you know, I, when I graduated, I probably had about 40 or 50 around my neck. It got to the point where it was almost, you know, uh, almost uh, uh, comedic to a certain extent. Um, And, you know, as much as I'd like to give myself a pat on the back for having a goal and reaching the goal, you know, the, the real story there is that WRHU was the platform to make a goal like that become a reality. And it's the framework that Bruce put in place. It's the fact that Ed, mm-hmm. you know, was was an unending source of encouragement, no matter how, looking back on it, no matter how young and naive I might have been at the time, you know, Ed made you think that you could forget about going to Mars. Ed wanted you to believe that you could go to Jupiter. Um, and you know, it, it really was just that type of environment. And, um, you know, the, the other thing that I remember that just got me all that much more excited was in that interview with Ed, it was the first WRHU catchphrase I ever really heard where he said, it's a make a wish foundation. And, you know, I would hear him say that a million times during the course of my five years there. Um, but when you heard it that first time, man, did it really light a fire under your butt. And, you know, it made you realize that there were people here who, if you wanted to go to the moon or Mars or Jupiter, there were people here who were going to help make that happen for you. And that, I guess, is really what makes uh, WRHU kind of special at the end of the day is that it really is a Make-A-Wish Foundation. And if you get your ducks in a row and put your plan together, um, you know, you can you can make it happen. At, at the time of this interview with Ed, were you already matriculated? Were you a student or is this during your, your first visit? Because you said you got the call for the interview. Oh, yeah. At this point, I had already committed to Hofstra. I don't remember if it was, it had to be at some point over the summer, I guess, okay. because I was in the training class my first semester at Hofstra, um, which, you know, was was kind of challenging in and of itself. It's, you know, that whole idea of, well, I'm carrying all these credits and it's college. And I was a commuter uh, for all of my time at Hofstra. 
Um, and then, you know, oh, add in this little training class thing on top of it. And the irony is I probably studied harder for the WRHU uh, final exam at the end of the training class than I had studied for anything in my life. And that includes, you know, I mean, like graduate level courses, because I eventually did a master's at Brooklyn College or whatnot. But I put so much effort because I just wanted it so, so bad. Do you remember any, uh, anything in particular that you learned in your announcing or engineering classes, any good advice that you got? Uh, and, and I, I asked this, you know, being a commuter and, and having, uh, been a commuter myself and having to lose my, my Long Island accent to, to some extent, did you have to work on that at all? Or were you, uh, prepared going in? No, you know something, I think the thing that was so great about RHU and the process um, was that there really wasn't an overabundance of feedback. The feedback was always supportive and it was never, um, you know, it was never, you never felt that it was an obstacle to moving forward. Mm. The, the thing that I think I regretted most of all over my time at Hofstra is I remember um, in my fifth year, or as I used to call it, my second senior year, um, I finally went back and listened to stuff from my freshman year, from my sophomore year of stories I had done. And, you know, if I had listened to it sooner, I really don't know what I would have gotten out of it. But I know that listening back to it in my fifth year there was such a remarkable difference between the kid who came in at 18 and the kid who was leaving at 21 and 22. And, you know, that was just from, from so many different things. But what it really came down to was a doing it over and over and over again, and then B getting feedback from Ed and from Bruce. And, you know, I don't think there was ever any particular nugget or gem um, that I got from them in terms of on-air stuff. Um, there are too many times in the past 15 years since I've graduated, having spent two years as station manager, I just look back and I go, son of a gun, Bruce was right. Um, and please don't play this for him because I might not live it down. But, um, you know, it's it's um, it's one of those things where you know, you, you really got a lot of, a lot of great lessons, um, about, you know, about life, about management, about work. Um, and, and yeah, you know, again, I, I feel like I'm ending the same, the, 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 each answer with the same thing, but it was just an amazing, amazing experience. I, I'm sure that when Bruce does it, hear this, I, I'm sure you and I can both picture the face he'll be making as he listens to it, and he and he prepares his response. I'm 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 confident, uh, you know that grin he'll have on his face. But um, oh, you you just stole the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say it's going to be that smug grin with the little chuckle that accompanies it. You know, so it we I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> So uh, if we could go back and uh, maybe you don't remember the exact first time, but do you remember getting on the air the first time or maybe going out and doing your first uh, reporting story or, or, or uh, your experience in the field? What was uh, what were the early days for you like getting on the air? Yeah, you know, it's funny because you said some things might come back to you as you're, you know, as you're talking and lo and behold, um, 
I, I remember my first on-air shift now. It was a classics from Hofstra shift. And because I came out of the fall training class, it was during the intercession. And the intercession is a very different time at the station mm-hmm. than, um, than, you know, a normal academic semester, mm-hmm. particularly January. No one is there. And, you know, Bruce gives this long speech at the beginning of every training class. And the catchphrase that everyone remembers from that is, I like to sleep nights, but kind of one of the little sub catchphrases is, we're handing you the keys to the Starship Enterprise. And you're sitting there the first week and you're going, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. When is this going to be over with? And then (laughs) you're in the studio for that first shift and you're going, oh, sweet Jesus, this is the Starship Enterprise and I'm in the captain's chair. I really hope I don't screw it up. Mm. And, you know, that, I mean, a classic shift is a very low stress shift, but when you're there on your own, and if you're lucky, like Joel Meyer, the operations manager is sitting in the, you know, in the, in his office and isn't off doing something else on campus for the station, like in the event, it all goes to hell. Uh, It's you, it's all on you. And, and that realization hits very, very quickly that, you know, you, you could put a dent in the starship enterprise. Um, And then, you know, my first news story that I went out to try to cover um, was, I mean, it was, I was, I was so confident that I was ready for this. I needed to find a story. I was going to go out and do something great. I was, you know, and I just had all this hope and ambition. And I got myself an interview at the time. Nassau County was in a little bit of a standoff with the uh, police union over a contract. And so that was the big story. So I went to chase it. And I got myself a one-on-one interview with the guy who was the head of the PBA. Uh, his name was Gary Delaraba. He was the president of the PBA. And I wrote my questions and I was so ready. Um, and by the time I got done interviewing him, it was a lesson in how how difficult it is to be a good journalist, how underprepared I was for all of the time I spent writing my questions. I got manhandled during an interview. Um, it, you know, I had no control over the interview. Um, and I, I remember, uh, walking out of there and it wasn't that Gary Delaraba was a bully. It was just that I came unprepared to the fight and, you know, got my butt handed to me. And it was, it, again, it's one of those experiences that you can either have it as an undergrad and walk away with your tail between your legs and learn from it, or you can have it when you go out into the real world for the first time. And let me tell you, it is a much better experience to have it at the undergrad level where you can go back to Ed and say, yeah, Ed, I don't think that went very well. And Ed would say something along the lines of, okay, maybe it didn't, but you'll get him next time. You know, as opposed to a screaming news director who's telling you, you think that's an interview? I mean, you got your journalism degree where? From Amazon? Mm-hmm. You know? So it was, uh, it was, that was a real big learning experience. Did that piece make it to air? Uh, it probably did. Um, and you know, the, the thing that I learned very quickly too, is that 
I mean, at RHU, we were doing very long radio stories. Um, so commercial radio in New York, you're lucky if you have 35 to 45 seconds to do a story. We were doing a minute 30, two minutes. Um, and I remember that piece was the challenge of whittling down a 45 minute interview into a two minute story. Um, it was really another symptom of, uh, of kind of how underprepared and inexperienced I was. But again, you learn pretty quickly. When do you think you, you felt comfortable at the station or, or, or doing, uh, reports? Do you, do you remember a time or a moment where you thought, okay, I, I can do this. I feel strong about, you know, staying here and doing this. You know something, when I first walked into the station the first two years, um, you know, I was confident from the very first day and I was confident at the very last day, but it was for very, very different reasons. Um, when I walked in there, I was so naive and clear headed and had so much bravado that, you know, I, you almost, you had the blinders of youth on and you really didn't even notice like, oh yeah, I could get blindsided in an interview or, you know, maybe an interview won't go as well as I expected it to, but it didn't matter because, you know, I, I just wanted it so bad. I had achieved it. And, you know, in my mind, it was now's the time to execute. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing too, is that the, the people there um, really, always made you feel welcome. It didn't matter um, whether it was Ed, uh, you know, LJ Zabelski was the station manager when I was there. Um, uh, Danielle DeLillo was, I think she was the personnel director. Um, Sarah Hendricks was uh, community relations. And, you know, they were also a cast of very warm, friendly characters who, you know, were just there to help you if you needed and, and make you feel welcome. And the truth of the matter is, you know, I mean, it, it speaks to the blinders that I had on when I first went in. I wasn't at the radio station to make friends either. And I guess it was part of that commuter mindset where, you know, I would hang out with local folks and local friends on the weekend. And college was to get a degree and be at WRHU and do news. Um, and of course, over time, um, that certainly, uh, did a, 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 I did a 180 in that regard. And some of my best friends to this day, or, or, you know, I mean, I would say a lot of my friends to this day, uh, are still people who, uh, who I met at or through WRHU. You, you've answered a good part of this question already, but I ask it anyway, because we we're talking through, the benefit of hindsight and our experiences and all the things that you learned from Ed and from Bruce and your contemporaries. But can you put yourself back in your shoes at 18, whether it's that first visit or your first time getting into a class or something like that? What did you think at 18 that Hofstra Radio would mean for you? You know something, I the, the best way to answer that is to say I knew it would mean a lot because it was the reason I went to Hofstra. If there was no WRHU, I would not have gone to Hofstra. Um, I probably would have uh, gone to a CUNY school, quite frankly, uh, because of the affordability. Um, but looking back in hindsight, I never imagined how much I would get out of it. Um, I mean, you're talking about experiences where, 
um, you know, part of the reason I have the confidence to go off and do things that don't necessarily fit in with what my lifelong goals were at 18 was because I was able to encapsulate a network news career in five years. I went from covering little local mom and pop stories to literally interviewing Barack Obama the night after he gave the keynote speech at the 2004 Democratic National Convention. And I did all that in four years. And it kind of freed me of the burden of having these goals that quite frankly, lots of people do. And some of them maybe never get to. Um, And, you know, it was it was incredible to be able to do that in just four years at WRHU. And, you know, 50% of that was because of my work ethic and the mindset that I had. But 50% of that was also um, because of the incredible platform and the incredible opportunity that uh, WRHU presents to, to people who you know, are willing to make that wish, like Ed would say, or just kind of grab the bull by the horns and go for it. Andrew, I've really enjoyed hearing your stories. These were, these were fantastic. And, um, as, as we talked about before, I'm working on some more questions and I know you have some more stories and I look forward to doing this again sometime. Yeah. When, whenever you want to do it, Brian, let me know. This is, this is like, aside from being very therapeutic, it's also a ton of fun. Um, and I have stories for days about Bruce and Ed and station manager and the Hearst awards and all that good stuff. So great. I, I look forward to talking about it. Awesome. Thanks, Brian.